Well, hello, everyone. Uh, God is working. He's working in our lives. He's working in our community, in our small groups. He's working through our worship. He's working in this world. And I don't know about you, but I feel so thankful to be a part of what God is doing. You know, last week was just an awesome week because we saw last week the God's people going through the Red Sea. And that's so exciting. We love that kind of miraculous display of power. And, and if you're like me, I'd love it if my Christian life was like that every day. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you enjoy a miracle a day before breakfast? Thank you very much. I mean, just before I have my oatmeal every day and my first cup of coffee, wouldn't it be great if God just gave us a Red Sea experience? But I don't know about you, that's not the way my Christian life works. So today, we come to a very different experience, and the contrast is dramatic. But here's what's striking. It's striking how closely linked these two experiences are. In fact, if your Bible is open, I mean, last week, the core of that was chapter 14, and today, one chapter later, we see a completely different experience. And here's why I point that out, because that's how life works. You see, we've designed this series for both brand new believers as well as seasoned, mature, long-term disciples. And whether you're new, whether you're a seasoned veteran, we need to acknowledge that life, the Christian life, is a mixture of thrilling moments and bitter moments. It's a series of triumphs and trials. It's disappointments and exhilarating times. And here's the funny thing. They tend to show up in our lives with very little space in between. So let's look at the text today in Exodus 15, and then uh, we want to unpack it together. And I'm excited about what I think the Holy Spirit is gonna teach us today. So let's dive in. Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Dead Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. Now, <clears throat> we just kind of pass by that, but think of that, three days, a desert, searing heat, dust, rocks. I mean, desiccated, dry, no water for three days. So any water that they brought with them it's, it's running out. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. Marah is a Hebrew word that, that literally, the core of it, it's, it means bitter, okay, bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, <clears throat> hey, dude, what are we to drink? You know, hey, Moses, you... You're all excited about getting us out of Egypt. We, we think it's pretty cool too, but boy, life is sure taking a turn here. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. 
He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I'm the Lord who heals you. That's an awesome verse, by the way. I am the Lord who heals you. And any healing, spiritual, emotional, physical, that comes in our lives, God is is the source of that. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and there they camped near the water. Now, you may wanna keep your Bibles open right there. Uh, It's a curious story, I think you'll agree. And the premise, just as a reminder, behind the whole series that we've been doing now for weeks is that their experiences with God are instructive for us. That's what the Bible says in the New Testament. These things were written down as warnings and instructions for us so that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's what God wants us to get out of this. So I wanna suggest three lessons, there are probably many more, but I wanna suggest three lessons that we can learn from this. The first one would be this, seasons of triumph and seasons of trial often follow closely together. I just want that to settle in on your soul and on our spirits today. We need to grasp that and not be shocked when these two things show up closely together. Three three days earlier, woo, it's a whoopee experience with God. God had brought them safely through. What a triumphant experience they would never forget, and they celebrated it. Praise God, the horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. And now, just three days later, despair. They're in the desert, no water. And what I'm saying is this represents a pattern that you'll see if you read their story closely. Triumph and trial, triumph and trial, triumph and trial. Lots of trials. The trial of being trapped against the Red Sea by the Egyptian army. The trial of no water. The trial later of no food. And then the trial in chapter 17 of discovering, my goodness, This life of walking with God has enemies in it. Gee, as the Amalekites come and attack them. And in each of these trials, God provides a solution and an experience of triumph. Three days earlier, they're over, water's over their heads, and now they're in a desert with no water. So I don't want this lesson to be lost on us. This is a pattern that you see in the faithful Christian life. The issues may be different, but this pattern of triumph and trials is the same. Uh, Someone has even called this the devil after the dove. (laughs) And it's taken from the life of Jesus where he had this exhilarating experience of being baptized by John in the Jordan River where 
The Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and rests on him. You don't get any better than that. The Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, folks, it doesn't get any more glorious and wonderful than that kind of triumph. And then right after that, he's led by the Spirit into the desert where he's tempted for 40 days. The devil after the dove. Don't be shocked when you see it showing up in your life, is all I'm saying. In Psalm 23, probably our favorite psalm, it says, uh, you make me lie down in green pastures. There's, there's not a more tranquil picture, I suppose, than a sheep fully satisfied. Sheep only lie down when they're satisfied. I mean, this is a satisfying experience. It's tranquil. It's flourishing, and then just a few lines later, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The devil after the dove. That's your life and mine, a series of triumphs and trials. The mountains and the valleys go together. We get this pattern showing up over and over again. All I'll say before I move on is don't be shocked. Well, I just can't help myself. I gotta say one more thing. Here's the deal. Some of, many Christ followers I know get confused because they, they somewhere got the idea that if I just follow Jesus, if I just have a little quiet time every day, if I just go to church, if I just kind of do what I know to do, then it'll just all be up and to the right. No. No, it's not just all triumphs. It's not just all high victory all the time and all gooey, ooey, wonderful feelings. It, there's trials as well. And there's a design even in those trials. This is a lesson we need to learn. Don't be confused. Okay, second lesson, how we respond. And this is so obvious, but, but I don't want us to take it for granted. How we respond to trials makes a tremendous difference and how they impact us. Hey, can I tell you something I've really learned that's like a, a huge takeaway? It's not what happens to you, it's how you respond to what happens to you that makes all the difference in your life. That's big. It's not, not what happens, that, that's important. I'm not saying that's not important. But what I'm saying is how you respond to what happens to you is far more important even than, than what happens. So there are two main responses that we make when we hit these seasons of trial. One, bitter trials can cause us to turn to grumbling. They can cause us to grumble. Verse uh, 24 in our text kind of speaks to that. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Now, if you read this story carefully, they became world-class grumblers, okay? They did. Chapter 16, verse two reads, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And then again, in verse 11, you, you just keep seeing it. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of these people. In fact, as I read chapter 16 of Exodus, I read at least seven different times that they grumble. Grumble, it, grumbling is the nasty habit of trying to find someone 
to blame for your situation. And it's just human nature. We usually grumble against the leader, whoever he or she is. We, we want someone to blame, and so we usually look to someone who has some authority or someone who's got a title or somebody who's in charge or whatever, and we usually blame them. But, but here's the deal. When we go into this grumbling mode, we're forgetting that it's not what happens to you, but it's how you respond to what happens to you that makes all the difference in your life. We forget that God is always working, even in the hard times. Deuteronomy 13, it's a really interesting verse here. It says, the Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and all your soul. What a statement. Trials reveal our character, brothers and sisters. And if you wanna know, if you wanna know what a person is really like, don't look at them when life is soaring. That'll never tell you the real story. Look at a person when she or he gets in trouble. Now you'll see what they're really made of. Watchman Nee was a wonderful Christian leader, a Chinese man who suffered horribly for his faith. He was imprisoned for many years, and he wrote prolifically. In fact, he's got scores and scores of books that he produced and a lot of wisdom there. And I like one thing he said. He said, Christians should be like China tea, like good China tea. When they get in hot water, all the goodness should come out. And I really like that because, see, trials reveal both the good and the bad. And this trial revealed that the Israelites were, can we be brutally honest, shallow. They were fair-weather believers. They had a long way to go in their maturity. But that is one of the options for what we can do when trials hit our lives. And I'm not gonna ask for any show of hands, but I know that I've been a part of that crowd way too often. Have you? I've been a part of the grumbling crowd way too often when, when hard times hit my life. But bitter trials, here's the second response, can also cause us to turn to God. Can cause us to turn to God. And here's where I wanna hone in for just a few moments with you all. Let's look at this verse from Exodus 15. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. Now think about what's happening here. Moses is experiencing the exact same reality that the people are. And they just want the quickest way out. Moses sees exactly the same problem, but he turns to God. So so here's a question that raises. What's what's our default mode? You know, when life goes sideways, and it will, what's your default response? What's my default response? See, God's purpose in bringing us out of Egypt is not just to free us from bondage to sin. That's a part of it. It's not just to give us a more cushy life and a place flowing with milk and honey, that's a part of it. Those are true, but his main purpose in bringing us out of Egypt is explained, I would suggest to you, and this is huge, 
Some of you won't like this part right away, just warning you, because you think it's all about milk and honey and a more cushy life and just going to heaven one day, okay? But if that's all you're concerned about, you're not really gonna appreciate the profundity of this. Exodus 19, verse four, says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Pastor Rex, why did God save me? It's not just so you could go to heaven one day. It's not so you could just get your sins forgiven or have a more cushy life right here. God saved you to bring you to himself. In a dynamic, personal relationship with God, God wanted to bring you into this eternal life with him. Jesus said in John 17, three, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, according to Jesus, is this intimate knowledge of the true God through his son. He brought us out of Egypt to bring us into a daily dynamic relationship with himself. So, dear Christian, dear Christ follower, wherever you are, whatever your age, however long you've been following, hear this today, you're going to experience difficult and bitter trials. They are either lovingly allowed and or designed by God, not to drive you away from God, but to draw you to him into a deeper relationship. Boy, you know, there are times in a sermon where I wish we could just push pause and just get a lot of crowd interaction here, just a lot of congregational feedback. And this is one of those moments for me because I know so many of your stories. I've known so many of you for years and I've watched your journey. It's been awesome to see how God has worked in our lives together as a community. And some of you right now, boy, you could stand up and you could give testimony right now of that bitter experience where you lost a child where your spouse passed away, where your business just went belly up, even after all the sweat, equity, and toil you put into it, where your dream just kind of shriveled and died, and you could, you could stand right now and testify, some of you with tears streaming down your face about all the pain involved in that, but, but, with a smile, you could talk about how God used even that pain to draw you into a deeper relationship with him than you ever dreamed. And that's awesome because that's always God's design. He wants to bring us to himself. But sadly, sadly, I could also, if we pushed pause on the service right now and we got some congregational feedback and testimony, we could also hear from some people or people who know some people where, boy, they went through those same kinds of experiences and they just kind of concluded, wow, if God would let that happen, I want nothing to do with God. And those experiences pushed them away from God 
Here's the deal. According to Deuteronomy chapter eight, this is so interesting to me. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. What was the purpose? To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your forefathers had known. The language of that to me, do you, do you see it? It's pretty explicit. It said God caused you to hunger. He was purposefully at work in the trial. He was testing you to see what was in your heart. And Exodus 15, verse, verse 25, puts it like this. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. So, let's apply it. I mean, what's the thing you're going through right now? I can tell you this. Well, I don't know the specifics of it, and I don't want to sound presumptuous here, but I can tell you this with biblical, theological confidence and conviction. God wants to bring you closer to him through that. I can tell you that for sure. In the midst of it, he wants you to turn to him. He wants you to trust him more deeply. The question is, can we still trust God even when the waters are bitter? Now, there's a whole section here that I wish we had time to camp out in. It's this whole section about God healing you. It's, it's verse 26. We looked at it a bit earlier. I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And I, I think it's so provocative that he associates the bitter waters of Mara with healing. Healing. Jamie Buckingham, I don't know if you recognize, the name is prolific author of an earlier generation. He wrote tons of books. And he's got a book called A Way Through the Wilderness where he talks about, and Jamie Buckingham, by the way, spent year, literally years of his life tromping in expeditions through this very area where the Israelites journeyed because he wanted to go and kind of learn firsthand. He took scientists along with him and all kinds of experts along with him. And, and, and let me share with you what he wrote. What did God want the Israelites to do here at Marah? Obviously, he wanted them to drink the water of Marah, for it was filled, he says, with magnesium. He believes the magnesium is what made the water taste bitter, and he gives tons of research and experiences to back up this claim. He says... It was filled with magnesium. And it's true that even Moses could not have known about the medicinal qualities of calcium and magnesium. For one thing, magnesium is a powerful laxative. It was God's way of cleaning out their systems. Had they drunk the bitter water and continued to drink it despite the effects on their intestines, they would have expelled mostly amoeba, parasites, and death-dealing germs that they brought with them from Egypt. And he goes on and on to talk about other medicinal qualities of the water that contain dolomite. Today, uh, athletes take dolomite or some derivative uh, uh, from that. 
and it has calcium and magnesium in balanced proportions. And these are minerals that are essential for healthy bones and teeth and so forth. They're good for your nervous system. And Buckingham, it's so interesting. He contends that all of these miracles, or excuse me, minerals would have been essential for their health as they were facing this arduous journey. And so God wanted to prepare these former slaves, and he wanted to rid them of many of the parasites and diseases they had contracted in Egypt and prepare their bodies for the long journey ahead. He goes on to talk about how God was even gonna transform their whole diet and give them later in Exodus what we today would call a kosher diet. Now, whatever you may think about Buckingham's thesis, and I, I think it has a lot of validity, one thing is for sure, God often leads us Christians through trials, and the purpose is for purging and cleansing us. He goes on to say in verse 25, he tested them. So as you think about the trials you've gone to, and I'm curious, how do you feel about them? Charles Spurgeon, sometimes called the Prince of Preachers, was a powerful preacher and pastor back in the 19th century in London. And he said in one of his sermons, I'm gonna quote a little paragraph, I have always looked back to times of trial with a kind of longing. Does that sound like a curious statement to you? Not, not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I felt it then, to feel the power of faith as I felt it then, to hang on to God's powerful arm as I hung on to it then, and to see God at work as I saw him then. I would never wanna repeat the deepest, most bitter trials I've gone through but I can tell you something, dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, I thank God for what he did in me through them. And I am a different man, I am a different person because of the bitter pain that I've experienced. Never wanna repeat it, but I can say with Spurgeon, I mean it, sometimes I have a little longing for how close I felt to God in those moments. Well, there's a third and final lesson I want us to learn from this story today, and here it is, here it is. When we faithfully persevere through our seasons of trial, God deepens us and draws us closer to himself. I love what the psalmist says, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. God, here's the good news, boy. God wasn't gonna let them stay in this trial forever. We read on in verse 25 that Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. So weird, isn't it? A piece of wood? What? Where's that coming from? I mean, there's not even a lot of, a piece of wood? He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. Now, the commentators just go 
crazy on this little detail because there's no known wood that neutralizes this kind of bitter water. Certainly nothing found in the Sinai Desert where they were. So this curious piece of wood that God showed Moses is a type. You've heard me talk about that before in the series. It's a type of something else. It's a foreshadowing of something very significant. And most Christian commentators would say it is a link. It's a foreshadowing. It's a type of the cross. And it's in the cross of Jesus, of course, that our healing is found. Peter, the apostle Peter, makes a reference to that, and he said, and he himself, referring to Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we were healed. He died there on the, it's, it's funny, apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it almost makes the link stronger. He he doesn't use the word stavros for cross. He uses the word for tree there. But he's clearly referring to the cross. And it's almost like he's making an obvious link with the bitter waters of Mara. You know the answer to all your problems and mine? The cross. You don't know the answer to all of your ailments, all your spiritual, emotional, physical, it's the cross. And this is a typological glimpse of that. But I really like verse 27 because it shows how God took them beyond the bitter water and their experience there, and he took them to another place, which was, if you look at it on the map, just up the road. Literally, just up the road, verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where they were. there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near, there near the water. This is so cool. Elam, just up the road from Mara, literally just up the road, is an oasis in the desert, and they camped there. I like this. They visited Mara, but they camped at Elam. This is worth your whole, whole morning right here. This is worth your whole morning. You you don't want to camp at Mara and visit Elam. You want to flip those. The problem with so many of us at seasons in our life is we camp out at Mara and we camp out and our life is all about bitterness and sorrow and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing because we're camped out at Mara, you need to leave Mara because there's a better place just up the road, brothers and sisters. It's called Elam. You wanna camp out at Elam. That's where you wanna live. That's where you want to plant your life. Every single day of our life with Jesus is Elam. That's the typological connection here. We get to camp at Elam. God says, get up in the morning, crack open my word, the Bible, 
and I'll be there to meet with you, and it'll be an Elam-type experience. And all day long, my presence will go flow through you like living water. There's no end to the supply, and that's what we need, brothers and sisters, every day. I don't know what you're going through right now, but if you're visiting Mara right now, I urge you, the first moment you can to check out from there, leave Mara behind and go just up the road because there's a place called Elam where God has living water where you can camp out and experience this lush oasis. Jeremiah the prophet looked at his city that was raised to the ground, burned, devastated by the enemy. And he said in, Jer- he said in Lamentations chapter three, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Jeremiah had hope because he lived every day in the fresh supply of God's mercies and love. So I ask you as I close, where is your hope found? I hope it's in Christ alone. I just love the song. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He's my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. I wonder if you'd bow your heads for just a moment. I just want to take one moment before we transition in our worship time, and I'm going to ask you to have a little moment of introspection right now. How many of you would say, by by raising your head, just in this moment, we're not going to linger long here, but you would just say, Pastor Rex, I want to tell you, I'm just in all honesty, I'm kind of in a Mara-type experience right now. There's some bitter painful stuff going on in my life, and I'd just like for you to include me when you pray for everyone in just a moment. Would you just just kind of pray for me, all right? Would you just slip your hand up? Just all over the place. Okay, lots of hands, lots of hands. Slip your hand up. If you're in a Mara-type experience right now, you're not trying to camp out there. You You don't want this. You wanna move on to Elam, but right now, if you didn't raise your hand, just raise your hand up again. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Lots and lots of people. Father, I pray for those who are kind of visiting Mara right now. So painful. So disappointing. So confusing at times. Why? Why would God allow this bitter experience in my life. Father, I pray for the spirit of the living God to fall afresh on those who are at Mara right now. 
We know this happens. We know this is a part of the Christian experience. Would you fall fresh on them and encourage their lives today? And Father, the first moment in your sovereignty, you would allow it. Would you allow them to check out Amara, move on to Elam? Would you bring a freshness and an oasis and a renewing to their lives? Let it flood their souls and give them peace and joy and hope, oh Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen.